Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Randy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Gang, got something super fun for you today. Uh, it's super cool. Uh, me and the team put together a little ebook, a little guide that you can have for free. It comes from the wealth and the knowledge inside the Uncharted community. It's called 25 Ways to Show Your Team Gratitude. It is a it is a cool little thing that will make your people happy. It's just an idea generator to get culture kickstarted in your practice. It's totally free and we made it for you. All you have to do if you want to have it is text the word thanks team as one word. T-H-A-N-K-S-T-E-A-M, one word. Text that to 44222 and hit send, and we will hook you up. We're going to send it to you as a PDF, um, but I think it's great. I am glad that we got to make it for you. That's thanks team to 44222, and we will totally hook it up. Guys, things are rolling along over inside the Uncharted community. People are getting super fired up. The April conference is going to be on us before you know it. We still got some spots left. You want to grab them. Head over to UnchartedVet.com and grab your spot. The price is going to increase this month. At the end of the month, the, the price is going to go up. I don't want you to get pinched. Go ahead. Bite the bullet. Do it. You will, re- you will be so glad that you did. It really is going to be incredible. This conference is fantastic. April in Greenville, South Carolina, my hometown. Remember, UnchartedVet.com. Get the details. Make sure that it works in your schedule. And then, look, if you listen to this podcast regularly, it's time for you to be part of Uncharted. You are going to love it. We've got so much good stuff coming down the pipes. It is going to be great. You don't want to miss it. Come on aboard before we cast off. That's enough from me. Let's get into this episode. It is a great one. See you on the other side. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, guys. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I like oh, it. I've been saving that one. <laughs> and it goes along perfectly with what we have to talk about. I but think so. uh, before we get to that, how's it going? It's, I'm just going to be honest. We are going into this podcast, and it's a podcast that these types of things kind of fire me up a bit. And I will tell you, I have had my hand on the hilt of the flaming, raging sword of justice already this morning. And I am taking my own medicine and practicing what I preach. And I am putting the flaming, raging sword of justice back down. And I am going to not reap righteous vengeance upon those people who deserve it until I get both sides of the story. <laughs> oh my god i love you so much deep breaths deep breath <laughs> pull it pull it together so just just so you know as we go into this triggering podcast i'm already triggered and so this you're gonna see me wrestling with emotions and if at any point i snap and just say fire them fire them all that's not good advice, and I just want to say up front, that's that's a me problem. <laughs> but I'm working through it, and I think that we can get centered here and give good advice. <laughs> While it is very easy for me to empathize with the person in this podcast, because <laughs> deep breaths, because deep breaths, deep breaths. I think I think. Uh... 
I think this will prove to our listeners that we are we are totally human and <laughs> that we get fired up about these things. I have been known to say that in a moment of not goodness on my part like you're all fired i'm gonna fire you all firing you all (laughs) one of those this is one of those moments it's one of those it's one of those mornings i i love the people that i work with i love them (laughs) they are wonderful and they are great and it's just it's one of those mornings everything is going to be fine right yeah right let's yeah okay let's do this podcast (laughs) should we dive into this one let's okay guys So, um, clearly this one has fired both of us up. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on this one. Uh, we have, Andy and I have a mutual friend who, uh, said that they were asking for some suggestions and some advice. So they had a day in the clinic where they were made aware by a very frustrated member of their team that there is a small handful of their technicians who are, um, <laughs> in air quotes, looking for other jobs. And it's being discussed openly amongst the group. There's two or three of them that uh, seem to have the chit chatty back and forth. And it seems to be a very toxic group. And they're very frustrated and they're making it known that they are unhappy with their jobs. Um, and one of them was seen by another member of the team actually looking for another job while they were at work. Um, so she was like, look, I am not sad to see them go because they have really bad attitudes and it's been hard actually even integrating new team members into the team because of these people. So they're clearly toxic. They are causing problems with the other team. And in fact, it's hindering new people being integrated to the team. So all, all struggle bus challenges, right? Um, this is a newer, a newer person to the clinic who was brought on board by the practice owner specifically to try and help with the culture because the practice owner has acknowledged a big challenge for themselves, which is that this practice owner has a hard time making decisions particularly the difficult ones and having hard, crucial conversations with their team. So, so this is great. A- this is super easy. Flaming sword of justice. I right? Know. Just bam. What's the problem Steph? Why can't we just, why can't we just be, be, uh, be done with these, with these people? <laughs> so here's the thing. This, um, this person has said, look, it's, it's, understandable having hard conversations is hard however choosing to do nothing is not really an option at least that's how this person is feeling and and they feel like they were brought on board to help change things and for them that clearly can include having to lose people off of the team who are openly toxic um the practice owner understands and has even acknowledged that they don't want those people who are unhappy to stay but they're not making any decisions to to move that forward and so yeah, they're like look not what willing, do I do <laughs> not willing to do the thing right okay. exactly that's the that's the important point here right um cuz this could be real easy um except we're pinched and we've got a practice owner that's not willing to 
jettison these toxic people. Um, and and this, this is super, super common. I have seen this. I've seen all aspects of this more than once in my career. Mm-hmm. The, the totally. job hunters who are talking about getting another job, looking for another yep. job, interviewing for another yep. job. And I, we can talk about why that behavior exists, but it definitely does. It's not uncommon. We can talk about um, the impact of having some toxic people, even when we're short-staffed. You know what I mean? And like, oh, we're short-handed, but these people mm-hmm. are not good for our culture. And mm-hmm. we can definitely talk about the boss that won't let our manager get rid of people. Um, and that is a big reality. So this is chock full of things that are important. I I break it up when I look at this because it's a handful, right? There's a lot of things going on here. For me, those are the three problems. There's yep. toxic people who aren't happy and who are flaunting that. It's one thing to be unhappy at your job because people, we go through these patches. It's another sure. thing to flaunt that, talk about that, talk about going somewhere else, right? And just so discord. Um, and that, that's the first problem. The second one is we have people who are job searching on company time using company computers. Mm-hmm. These people are on the clock and using that time to look for other jobs. Like again, my flaming raging sword of justice just leaps to my hand and goes, this feels horribly wrong and unfair. Like, right. you know, like you can leave our practice, but taking advantage of us to, you know, to find another job just feels, it feels unfair and it feels wrong as, as the person who is writing the checks to the staff, like Mm -hmm. empathize with the practice owner for a second here, the practice manager who's feeling really disrespected and abused. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think disrespect is the word that comes into my mind. And the last part is uh, we have a practice owner that won't make the hard call. And that by itself is is a problem. So those are the three problems that I see. Mm-hmm. I, I agree 100% with you. So the real question is how how do you tackle them and in what order? Okay. For, it's okay. a lot. So, so re- <laughs> okay. There's right. So let's tackle all three of them. Um, le- the first thing we have to do is put away the flaming raging sword of justice, <laughs> even though it feels so good in my hand, putting it away. The flaming raging sword of justice is not our friend in here. No. In this, right. So ultimately um, I go back to one of my favorite sayings that I say to myself and to my people all the time, you can be righteous or effective. Choose one. And God, this makes me want to be righteous. You know, it makes me want to talk about integrity and it makes me want to talk about uh, culture and it makes me want to talk about respect and all, all those things. You know what I mean? But that's, that's righteousness. Let's choose the other path and let's bring it, let's bring it back and let's take some deep breaths and then let's go be effective. And that, that's what we got to do. So let's be effective. So for me, uh, I want to rearrange these three issues because there's okay. an order in which I'm going to go after them. Okay? okay. So let me shuffle them around. The first one is I'm going to talk about the practice owner won't make the hard call okay. because that is a big hindrance to me dealing with the other two issues. hundred percent. Right. So mm-hmm. let me see what I can do there first 
Because if they're not going to back me up, if they're not going to empower the practice manager, if they're not going to let me do anything, if they're not going to untie my hands, the other issues are really going to be an exercise in frustration for me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I've got to yeah. deal with that first. And so if you're like, okay, the practice owner won't make the hard call at my practice mm -hmm. or I'm not being empowered, um, I'm not being able to do the things that I want to do, this is for you, okay? Um, I once talked to this, uh, this guy, he was in the banking industry and he loaned money to veterinarians who wanted to buy practices. And so then he would sort of be there and he would sort of see these practices on board and then, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sort of keep up with the practices over time. And so I said to him, I was like, listen, you know, you loan money to all these veterinarians who are taking over practices, buying practices, starting practices. Mm-hmm. Are there characteristics that you see in the ones who are going to be successful that you don't see in the ones who are going to struggle? Like, can you tell who's going to do well when they buy a place, start a place, things like that? And at first he okay. said no, and then he thought about it for a couple minutes. He said, you know what? There is a thing. The veterinarians that do well are the ones who can make the hard call. They're the ones who have a tough decision and they make it. And the ones who struggle are the ones who don't make the tough calls. And I, it's been probably 15 years since I talked to that guy. And I, I have no idea what his name was. I can't remember what bank he was with. But I remember that, con I remember that conversation sure. because yeah, yeah. I have seen what he said. I have seen that to be true again and again and again since he said it to me. I'm like, that guy nailed it. You know? And, and, and here we are. So the ability to make the the tough call is vital for a practice owner. That's not helpful for the manager who is working with a practice owner who doesn't want to make the tough call. And sometimes they, we get burned and we go, I don't, I don't want to make this call or, you know, I, I don't, for whatever reason, I don't want to, I don't want to make this choice. And the things that I would say to, I would say to that person, I'm, I, I, manager, you're not saying this is to the practice owner. I can say this to the practice owner, but you can't. Um, Look, not making a choice is making a choice. If you choose not to have this car hard conversation, then you choose for the behavior to go on. Mm -hmm. That's the choice you're making. And again, mm -hmm. I think that's really hard to say that to your boss. But I, from the outside, that so get send them this podcast and see if we can get them to listen to it. But <laughs> this is this is what I would say to them: not making the choice, not having the hard conversation. That is making the choice. And that's making the choice to continue on in the way that we're continuing. Well, and I, to a point, to a point, disagree that you can't, you can't say that as a manager, that you can't say that to your boss. Like, I think that this is, this is, that is a hard conversation. But if you, if you as a manager are being asked to do your job with both hands tied behind your back, I think that you have two choices. You can address that concern with your boss. Or ultimately, you're not going to be empowered to do your job. You're going to get frustrated, and eventually, you're gonna you're gonna leave. Whether it's this or something else that causes you to feel that way, if you I've been there. If you're getting asked to do the job, and you are being asked to do it blindfolded, like that wears on you. So I think that you absolutely should and can have that conversation, and coming from a place of of compassion and just saying, "Hey." Like, I, I realize that you don't want to do this thing and that's fine. If that's the choice you want to make, 
I just want to make sure that we're all aware of what the consequences intended or unintended of that lack of making a decision look like. Absolutely. I stand by what I said when I said you cannot say to your boss, um, uh, make a decision, but know that not making a decision is making a decision. I, that, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> However, right? You know, really, like, you know what I mean? Like, I can walk in and be like, hey, look, uh, Kelly, practice owner, if you don't make a call here, you're making a call here. Right. I, I can say what what you're saying is 100 percent true. And this is the ninja move. And this is what I think we need to unpack and talk. Right. When you're talking to your boss and you're the manager and you're trying to get the boss to make these calls. You need to have this conversation in a way that makes the boss, the practice owner, realize that. Right. You that, without, that I guess that's without, my point. And, I see what I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that, that may sound like semantics. We need them to come to this discovery on their own. So they I, go, Oh, I understand the consequences of me not making this decision. I, I wish that we could be so forward. And if you have a boss you have a great relationship with and you have someone who who is open and good at taking feedback, maybe you can totally walk in and be like, look. Right not making a decision <laughs> is making a decision that this is going to continue. Right. Mo most of us probably don't have that relationship right. or we don't have a boss that's open, that open to feedback. I wish we did. Um, so you are going to deliver that message. You just can't do it in that way. That makes sense. I guess I was, I was thinking about it from the perspective of sure. being one of those managers who has no filter and, <laughs> and has relationships generally with my bosses where I'm not afraid to say that. And so I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you just say that? Because that's the truth. But it's... I 100% <laughs> hear your point, which is that probably by and large, the majority of managers out there are are not necessarily in that position or it it really it really could be significantly more effective to get them to see the unintended results without putting them on the defensive right off the bat. So that, yes. that makes sense. No, that, that, so yeah, that's, that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah. I do not want to dishearten people and people shut off the podcast right now and just go like, Andy says there's nothing I can do. So, uh, going to go, going to go listen to Dak Shepard instead. Uh, that's not what, I'm, not what I'm going for, but yeah. Okay, I mean, cool. That is, a, that is a really good podcast. That is, I love, I do love some Dak Shepard. All right. Um, let's okay. get back. <laughs> back on track. Let's get back on. There's, here's a fork in the road. And I think that we should lean to uh, finishing up what we were talking about. All right. So things to know. Um, not making a decision is making a decision. Mm -hmm. Period. Right. Yep. Culture comes from the top. And yes. this is a great example. Mm -hmm. If you have someone who says. Um, this is what I believe in and we are a team and we look out for each other. Right. And we do not wallow in negativity. That is not what happens in our practice that radiates down. Mm -hmm. And if you have someone at the top who is ambivalent and says, well, I don't really want to make the hard calls or I don't really right. want to address this problematic behavior. Ambivalence is what radiates down. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And then it becomes, look, 
here's the thing about about power. And I know that power kind of feels like a dirty word. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of having power in their mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. If you're the practice owner and you do not take the power, and that doesn't mean you have to be a jerk, but if you don't take that, it leaves a void and a vacuum and other people will move in and they will take that mm-hmm. organizational power. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where you get the rise of bullies. You know, that's where you get the rise of toxic people because they go, well, look, if no one's going to stand up here and be opinionated, then right. I'm going to stand up here and be opinionated. If there right. is no guiding voice for this practice, then I'll make my voice the guiding voice, you know, and, and they will do that. And so I'm not saying you have to be a loud, boisterous personality. I'm not saying, you know, you should be a tyrant. I think a lot of people tie, tie tyranny with power. What I'm saying is people look to you to lead. And if you abdicate that leadership position, you're opening up your culture for other people to make the culture what they want it to be. I think this is a good example of culture comes from the top. And if the culture is, I'm not going to set a culture because that requires commitment. I'm not willing to put forth. You're going to have, uh, you're going to have a wild West culture. You're going to have factions and you're going to have clicks and you're going to have, um, warlords that rise up. You know, <laughs> real. I mean, it's that. It is. That sounds ridiculous, but it is that. You guys have seen that practice. Well, and I think the. I think the reality is, I. I don't think that. I. I think that the people who intentionally think in that way and think, well, nobody, nobody's being the boss, so I'm gonna just be the boss. I think the the amount of people who think that way are fewer and further between. However, I think that unintentionally, that is what happens when you when you have a group where nobody is is leading from the top is I I don't think I don't think that there are technicians or CSRs out there in a majority that are like, ha I'm going to take over the world today. Like, I, you know, (laughs) most of the people that we have in this space get into it because they're not those people. However, when you don't have someone who is clearly taking control in some way that is what happens it's human nature people people find the like-minded people to talk to and that little that little crack in the sidewalk grows and grows and it's very it's very unintentional and organic but the end result is still the same which is that you're going to have people who are like you're not going to make a decision okay i'm going to do this thing you know yes uh, so okay, I think that that's I think that that's really important. Take away from what you said that I want people to hear. I am not saying that this is tyrannical, you know, scheming mastermind mm-hmm. behavior. This is mm-hmm. human nature. Right. If no one puts forward the guiding voice, there are other people, uh, myself included, who have a tendency to say, "Hey, look, if there's not a plan, I'll make a plan." Mm-hmm. And I don't care that I'm not the boss. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to just, you know, say, well, hey, guys, what, it, what if we were to mm-hmm. do this? Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's how some of us are are wired. And I think that, I think you find that again and again. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that that is really important. The other thing, and you, you said this, and I just want to just lay it down really clearly. Being the leader, right, and sort of taking taking that power and, and, and saying, I'm going to radiate this culture. 
that doesn't mean that you're a micromanager. It does, you know what I mean? That doesn't mean you tell everybody what to do. It mm-hmm. doesn't even mean that you make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about uh, our team for, for a minute, you know, um, and, and I want you to be honest about this for sure. I feel like, I, I, I don't think that anyone Uh-oh. would say in, in our, I don't think anyone would say in our team that I am um, a dictatorial uh, oh, no. boss. Would you say that? No. Not no, at all. Not at all. No. But culture does come from me, you know, and everybody kind of knows generally what I think is right and how we treat people. You know what I mean? And, and I'm pretty open about that. But I feel like I generally give you guys a lot of latitude to run your own stuff and to, to mm-hmm. do things the way that you want to do them. Do you agree? Yeah, 100%. I think I think for me. At least I try um, to. And, and I'm totally glad to say I fail this at this. Is not- this is not this is not Andy fluffing his own pillows. I am not fluffing <laughs> my own pillows. I well maybe I am, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> no, I I agree. I agree 100% with that. I think that um I think that you very much embody the idea that culture does come from the top and you have you have a vision and ideas and an idea of the path that we're going to go down, but one of the things that I love the most about working in, in our team and it's one of the most powerful lessons that I think I've learned um, in my career in veterinary medicine has been the ability to watch you as a leader be walking down the path that you feel really sure about and at the same time when one of us brings something to the table you are absolutely capable of veering 90 degrees to the right and going off in another, another direction because you do listen to the input um, from the team and respect that sometimes where you thought you wanted to go isn't actually where you want to wind up going. Like you, you definitely do listen to everybody. And I, and I think for me too, the best experiences that I have had in clinical practice have been the same way have been practice owners where they have a clear vision, but they are also still very open to understanding that just because you have a clear vision and you are leading this group, that doesn't mean that your voice is the be all end all. It also doesn't mean that you have to be the one driving all of the time. And sometimes the best things come from letting other people take the reins and go forward when you have that that vision and trust. And so I think that for me leads right back to something um, that our that our friend said about this situation. It was one of the first things that I thought about, which was, okay, this is a manager who's been put into a space because they want change to be enacted. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's the same with you. You pick people to be a part of the team because they are willing to say what they think, even if it's not, I'm going to agree. I, I'm not going to agree w- with you, Andy. Like, I, I actually think that you look not to find people who are going to be disagreeable, but people who are willing to say what they think, because that is how we have made some of the best decisions. I think that we have made together as a team from people not being afraid to use their voices. I I know I I completely agree about 
about finding people who are willing to use their voices. Um, and it's important in a leadership role where it's like, it doesn't make our team better to have people who just nod their heads and go, yep, that's what we're going to do. That's what Andy said. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't make us better. And mm -hmm. so the reason I want to circle back to this is just to say to the practice owners, you don't have to have a long-term plan right? You mm -hmm. don't have to know where we're going. And I think a lot of people step away from leadership because they're like, well, I don't know. I, I don't mm -hmm. know where she mm -hmm. That's fine. That's my whole life is going on. I, I mean, I have, <laughs> I have, I have guiding values that I believe in, you know, about oh. what it means to be, um, a care provider, what it means to be, um, to, to lead a team and, and what it means to, to take care of, of employees, like how people should be treated, whether they're clients or people who work for us. Like I have those, I have those North stars that, but I don't, I don't have anything else. And so you don't have to have a master plan to set the culture and to, to really lead a team or lead a practice, but you can't take your hands off the wheel. You know, you have to be open to the information that comes in and you, but you have to respond to it and you have to make those hard decisions. And so thank you for saying that. Here, I guess the other thing too is, me saying to you on this podcast, um, do you think that that I do this as a boss? I think some people who don't know us would say, well, Andy really kind of put her in a position where she had to agree. But I think other people who <laughs> listen to podcasts who know you and who know me know that if you said, you know, I think you do this really well sometimes and sometimes I, I think that you don't. You can say that to me. And, and I think people who know us know that you would say that. You know what I mean? A hundred, a hundred percent. Because that's who you are. So I have great anxiety when I put the ball in your court like that, because I don't know what you're going to say, but I can imagine other people thinking this is a slam dunk. <laughs> okay. Oh God, that's <laughs> that's right. fantastic. That was a moment of true, true vulnerability right there. You guys. Oh. On, totally on the part of Dr. Andy Rourke is admitting that he does not actually ever know what's going to come out of my mouth. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I, I do not. <laughs> and yet he's not afraid. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, and this is, this is related to the topic. You know, we were doing our strategic planning intensive course that we do in Uncharted. Um, and again, if you're an Uncharted member, you can totally join our courses and be in our discussion groups. We had office hours last night uh, or two nights ago. Um, yep. Stephanie is teaching a course tonight as we're um, as we're recording this podcast on uh, on uh, practice financials, and so anyway, we we do this, but we were doing um, we were doing our 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 lecture, and I was talking about some strategic planning stuff and the way that I like to do it, and you came in and you were like, I know that Andy really likes to do it this way. I do not like to do it this way. I you know it, it confuses me, or I, I don't like it, or I don't think it flows as well. And then you explain how you like to do it. And someone uh, in the class actually said, I just want to pause for a moment mm -hmm. and say that it is amazing that Stephanie would come in and say, I don't like the way that you do this. And Andy would be a hundred percent fine with it. And it's like, I didn't even think of that as a thing. It's just, it's just how we are, you know? And, well, but the idea that I, that's not how other teams work is, is interesting to me. To a hundred percent. And I, and I think, I think the thing that stood out for, cause that also stood out for me and the thing that stood out for me about that is that as a, as a team member, I want my voice to be valued and heard. That doesn't mean that I have to be right or that I have to drive all of the time. In fact, I, I am perfectly, I am perfectly okay. Whether it's in practice, it's within our, our team for Uncharted or not. I want, and I think that 
most people feel this way. It's human nature. I want to feel heard, right? It's no different than the client who is upset and you, you just need to hear them out. And at the end of the conversation, they're hundred percent fine. I think that's how everybody on the team feels too. So for me, as long as my practice owner or you, as long as I feel like I am heard and my concerns or my questions are validated and someone takes the time to process that with me, I am a hundred percent okay with going in a direction that I don't necessarily, um, that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen as the direction to go in. I am okay. As long as I have my questions answered that I understand the why behind it. And I think it's the same with the team here. And so my question here again, for this practice owner is okay. You have a situation here where maybe you don't feel comfortable taking, taking the lead. Maybe you don't know what the, what the vision is. However, you have made an intentional choice to bring a manager on board. And so my question is, if you were not going to be the person to make those hard decisions, and I actually would argue that if you brought in a practice manager, you shouldn't be the person in the position making that decision anymore. That's why you hired them. But that's a whole other sidebar conversation. Yeah. You have them in this role what what is your choice? Are you going to step aside and let them do their job and support them while they do it? Or are you going to continue to make that your job? Because if you're going to continue to make that your job, you what you said earlier about um, not making a decision is making a decision. That's your that's your choice. But yes. if you don't want to make that decision and you want to conscience consciously and intentionally say, this is your choice, manager what would you like to do? That's a completely different story. Yes. I, I love that. I think that, that you put a nice pin in that to bring it back. So if you're a practice owner and you're listening to this and you have stayed away from hard decisions, hard calls, hard conversations, hear what we were just saying, talk to your people, listen to your people and then make, and then make the call. You know, you don't have to know what you're going to do after that, Mm -hmm. but Come together and make the call. And to directly back up Stephanie's point, you if you brought this manager in to lead this change, the call for me most likely is support what decision this person makes who I brought in to make the decision and mm-hmm. just say, yep, I brought you here to make these calls and I'm going to endorse your decisions. That is the call that I made. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to do a whole lot. Other than say, I brought you here. That was the decision that I made. And now I'm standing behind you because that's the endorsement that needs to happen. Well, and like, look, I get it as a, I can't tell you how many practice owners that I have worked with that their sole reason for wanting to hire a manager is because they hate math or they hate people. I mean, the dealing with the people side of the people, not that they don't like people. Th- those are those are the two main reasons that people hire a manager because they don't they don't like to deal with the business side of it or they don't like to deal with the HR side of it. So if you've intentionally made that choice to bring in a manager to help you with that, relieve yourself of that of that responsibility and say, look, I believe in you, I trust you, I want you to to make a decision, move forward, and feel great about the fact that you have put someone in the driver's seat to do something that you know you're not good at, you don't like doing, 
um, or some combination of those two things. Right. No, I, I agree. Okay. So let's move on to our question. What if we okay. have a practice owner who does not want to make this call? Okay. Mm-hmm. Let, and so we're, let's go back. We're the manager. The practice mm-hmm. owner is ambivalent. I don't want to push these people out, but I want them to go. I don't know. Right. Um, what are we going to do? Number one, we need to make them see the consequences. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you can't say to them, not making a decision is making a decision. I, I don't think that's a message that gets received. Remember, sure. uh, um, you know, listening happens at the ear, not at the mouth. Right. right. Um, and so what are they going to hear? Make them see the consequences. So I would say, Hey, I'm concerned. And then I pause. And I, I, I always use, if you guys have, have seen me lecture, I, I tend to break this out in my lectures cause I use this a lot when I'm breaking bad news. I'm concerned and I pause. That's foreshadowing. I'm letting them know I'm about to say things you're not going to like. Mm-hmm. And, and you will see them get ready to receive the mm-hmm. negative news, right? So they get in, right. it puts them into a headspace that I want them to be in. I'm concerned. And then I am going to say, um, I am worried about blank. Or even a better move is I am going to say, I'm concerned. What do you think is going to happen when blank? Or what do you think the impact is going to be if blank? I know exactly what I think the impact is going to be. But again, I am trying to lead my boss on a journey of discovery so that she is the one who goes, you know what? This could get bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I'm going to jump in to affirm that and go, you're right. I am also concerned that it's going to get bad. Good job, boss. Love where your head's at. You're always thinking. That's why you're the boss. The best boss. <laughs> Let's do this together now. Like that's 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 Jedi mind trick, buddy. That's how that's how you do it. You ask the right questions so that yeah. they realize the consequences. And then when I'm trying to decide how I'm going to lead them on this journey of discovery, I want to make sure there's one big button that I push. What motivates your boss? Right. And that's the button I'm going to push. So if your boss cares about patient care beyond anything else, how do these people hanging around talking about going to get other jobs, being, uh, you know, um, disrespectful, being negative, Mm -hmm. how does that affect patient care? Because it does affect patient Mm -hmm. care. If your boss, if your boss is burned out and cares about just going home at night and not having to deal with drama, how do these people hanging around impact your boss's ability to not have drama, to be drama free? Because they do impact that ability. If your boss cares about the bottom line, if your boss is like, we have got to pay the bills, we've got to make payroll, we've got to make a profit. How do these people hanging around, how do they damage your practice's ability to be profitable, to make yeah. payroll, to earn money, because they do. Hone in on those things. Know what your boss cares about or what they motivate, what it, what motivates them, what drives them, and boy, go right after it. And be smart about it. And remember, ask the right questions so that they realize these things, but talk about the things that matter. If your boss cares about the profitability of the practice and you talk them in and you're talking about the drama, that you have to deal with on the floor, that that's not hitting your boss's highest priority. Right. 
And so right. be smart in how you frame this so that the, so one, you unearth the consequences, but number two, those consequences affect high priorities for your boss. And that's really how I try to get those people on board. A hundred percent. And I think, I think the conversation always starts from where you and I tend to start all of these conversations, which is you're coming from a place of compassion. You want to help them. You care about the team. You care about your boss. You care about your own self-preservation. And I think that's part of the discussion, right? Like your life being made more difficult. That's certainly a part of it. But ultimately, you care about your clinic and your team and you want to make this better. And so how can you help them? How can you guys work together as a team? I think when you start there and then you go through exact, I mean, you gave a great example, Andy. And sometimes I think for most people, that's the hardest. That's the hardest thing. I think it's the thing we get both get asked the most is what, what do you say, right? Like, what do you actually say when you're trying to have one of these hard conversations and I think your examples were fantastic thank you and then then go from there I I would be hard pressed to find a practice owner out there who when they hear that and you you are trying to work together um wouldn't want to try and change that particularly if as you said you are coming at it. You're still trying to solve your own problem, but you're coming at it from the perspective of what is most important to them. They are going to be more motivated to want to solve the the problem. And you may not solve it on the spot, but you, you need them to get on board with the idea that you're going to start to move towards resolution for this issue. Another approach I really like to take in these conversations is the old benefits and sacrifices approach. And again, this is another one of the Jedi mind tricks that I really like to teach in lectures. I want my boss to do something. I want one of the doctors I work with to do something. I want one of my technicians to do something. One of the best approaches I can take is I can make them see the, see the benefits of doing what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And I can reduce the sacrifices they have to make to do the thing. You know what I mean? And so if I want my boss to, um, to get rid of these people, Uh I need my boss to see the benefits of these people being gone. Mm -hmm. And I can also raise my chances of success by reducing the boss's sacrifices. If my boss hates conflict, if he or she does not want to have this conversation, I may be able to get them on board by saying, you know what? I am totally fine to do this. I will have this conversation. I will do the documentation. I will take care of this. I just need you to sign off on it, that this is an approach that I can take and you don't, mm-hmm. we can, you don't have to even be here. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. If that's what they hate, if they just can't stand the idea of being in that meeting, get them out of that meeting. Reduce the sacrifices right. for them and, uh, and make clear the benefits of this meeting happening. Yeah, 100%. And to go back, I want to go back to the last point that you made before we move on. This may not be a issue that gets resolved in one meeting. In fact, it's probably not. Mm -hmm. We need to start these conversations. Mm -hmm. We need to start the brainstorming exercise of what are the consequences of not taking action here? What are the benefits of taking action here? 
would you be open to me doing this? You know, what, what do you need to feel comfortable with me handling this? I love that question. Uh, Jamie Holmes asked me that question all the time. What do you need to feel comfortable with me taking care of this problem? And then I tell her what my, uh, what my reservations are. I tell her what I'm worried about or what I'm struggling with. And she says, great, let me come up with some ways that we can handle those reservations. Mm-hmm. And then she gets it done. And, and but that I, I think that that's how I think that's how you approach this. Mm-hmm. Don't go in there as a showdown. Like this is the Alamo. We're going to have this conversation and you're going to let me do this thing or, you know, or it's all over. It's like, nope, this we put this first on our list so we can get it started. Let's start to talk to the boss about letting us do our job. And that may be an ongoing conversation. Get the ball rolling. And then we can move on to our second problem. So what's our second, what's our second problem? I'm going after the job searches and conversations, right? Cause that's a technical problem. Okay. Okay. So I'm going after the job searches next. So there, uh, this is a common thing in vet practices. I've seen it, um, a number of times in a number of different places. Um, we can put this under misuse of the computer systems, especially <laughs> it's in the break room or it's in the treatment room. Other people know exactly what's going on. Yeah. In my experience, people talk about getting other jobs mostly for one reason, and it's not the reason you expect. Sometimes they talk about getting other jobs because they're genuinely unhappy and they genuinely want another job. But Every time I have seen it, especially if this is something that happens at the clinic, this is attention-seeking behavior. Do you agree? Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. And and uh, by and large, the majority of the time that I have dealt with this, it's attention-seeking behavior in a very specific, for a specific end. Um, but uh, but I agree a hundred percent that it's it's usually about wanting wanting the attention because the people who actually are genuinely unhappy with their jobs those in my experience as a manager are the people who look for another job they go and interview and then they just put in their notice and, and they, they leave just do it quiet, and they're gone. they just do it they quietly they, they find a job that feels like it's a better fit um they or meets their needs in whatever whatever their needs are whatever is motivating the change in scenery those are the people that go, they do the thing, and then they give you their notice and they're gone. Yes. <laughs> it yes. is it is the <laughs> the people that make a big deal out of it, those are not the people. They may be genuinely unhappy with their job, but they are not the people who are genuinely unhappy with their job and are actually going to leave because okay. there is they're getting something out of it. This is this is what triggered me so much about this post. And and and, and I love our friend who sent us the message about this and asked about it. Um, my biggest problem and concern is, you know, the idea is, well, these people are looking for jobs. They'll go ahead and go. And it looks like one of them actually did. In my experience, these people don't go. They right. talk about getting a job because yeah. they want attention, yeah. because they want, because they, they're drama people. Right. Right. They want to stir the pot and they want to have something to talk about. And they want to, if they can't find gossip, they'll generate gossip. And that's what they're doing. In my experience, these people don't leave. They talk and they talk and they talk. And which is damaging 
They damage the culture. They crap on what's going on. They act like this place is less than. They act like the grass is greener on the other side. But then they don't actually leave. And that that's because they don't really believe it's greener on the other side. They just want attention. That's why these people are so damaging. The ones who decide they're unhappy and then go and find another job, that may be the best thing that ever happened to you. It may be the best thing for them. Your clinic is not right for everybody. Just own that. Right? right? right. Like, right. your culture may not be conducive to that uh, to that practice. If I had a technician who was going to come into a practice and work a lot with me, if that person likes quiet, serene days, they're probably <laughs> going to put their notice in pretty fast because I don't do quiet, serene days. <laughs> I do birthday party days every day. Oh, God, your poor technicians. I know <laughs> they are saints, but, but that's, but that's my point is like, right. People going to another job, not bad. Right. And, you know what I mean? Like it's, if it's what they need, then good for right. them, you know? And like, and, and I'm not taking that personally, you know? 100%. And I think that's why both you and I feel like <laughs> the people who feel that way, the people who are like, mm, yeah, this is not for me. Those are the people who are going to go. The people that the people that are truly being the drama queens, those and that that leads to, I think, the third part of the conversation that we want to have, right? About the toxic employees, what do you do with them? How do you deal with that? Like those are the people that that are gonna stay. So the question, the question for me is when you have people who are job searching at the clinic and being those drama people, how do you deal with that? Cool. So let me throw in one technical thing that I really like. And then we're going to move into the, into the, the toxic people and with them. The technical part is if people are doing this mess, get your it person in and, and, and just say, Hey, this is going on. What tools do we have to monitor this? Right. Mm -hmm. As soon as people are doing playing games on the clinic computers, I get mm -hmm. to play detective. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, can I generally people who are doing stuff like this tend to be fairly smart. They tend to clear their search history, but you better believe I'm going to go look at the browser histories. I, I I want to have specifics to talk to these people about. I am going to be smart. I'm not going to call them in and go, hey, look, I know that you're talking about getting another job and you're looking at sites and they're going to go, what? What? Not, no, you must have me confused with someone else. I would never do that. I'm not unhappy. Um, do your homework. Get the data, get specific information that you can discuss. And so ask your IT guy, what can you yeah. get for me? Can we pull these things up? Can you get information? And the other part is you can shut this down. Tell the IT guy, I want you to block all these sites, right? right. I want you to block right. all the job hunting sites. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't want to be able to access that from our computers. They, they can yeah. do that for you. And then you're just shutting that down. What I've found is, don't get your hopes up, meaning, oh, if he shuts these sites down, everything will go away. It, it, it will go away. It will, move, it will move to cell phones or things like that. But it's still worth sending that message that we, as soon as somebody tries to log into that site and it's blocked, they'll say, oh, oh, <laughs> this, my activities are maybe not as secret as I thought they were, you know, and it, it sends a, a, a message. And this is where, this is where I feel like private small business practices need to take a page out of um, 
corporate America's handbook. It's like every other company not in the veterinary space in that is not a small business in the whole world. They have an IT department. You they have filters, they have they have keystroke loggers, they have that it is very clear and they are very upfront. Every job not in the veterinary space that I've ever worked, part of the handbook when I very first started was a policy about computer use in the business. And it clearly outlined what you can and can't do and what expectations as an employee you have in terms of a right to privacy. And I hate to break it to some of you who are listening and think that you have the right to privacy at your work. You don't. You don't. Your employer has the right to to stop the to block the sites to look at what you're doing on company time that that is something that they have the right to do and it's something that I think from as an industry that we don't do very well and so this is a very easy page to take out of the corporate America book and just say hey look it's I don't want to be big brother I don't I don't want to invade everybody's privacy, but I do as an employer have the right to expect that you are actually working when I'm paying you to work. I'm not paying you to sit there and look for another job or internet shop or do whatever it is that you're doing on the computer. And no other industry is going to expect, you could not go into any other industry and have an expectation that you could could do those things. And it drives me, it is one of the things that drives me nuts. Um, about our field. And so it's super, it's like you said, it's super easy. It's not, it's not something that's only accessible to corporate America because they make millions of dollars. Look, you guys, you can ask your local IT guy. It is as simple as that. There are very simple, easy things that you can do. Um, and I love the idea, Andy, that you brought up of just blocking the site. Like that's, that's simple. That's not, I'm going to spy on you and I'm going to keep track of what you're doing on the computers. Although as a manager, I, I actually agree that that's what you should be doing, but you can just tell your team, Hey, look guys, we want you to be productive while you're here. And so we have a filter program that is blocking certain sites. And if you have a legitimate business need to get on those sites and that the, the argument that I see most often with this is hospitals that will block social media sites that will block like Facebook and Instagram and that kind of stuff. And the reality is if you're doing clinic, social media, you may have someone or multiple people on your team that have a legitimate business need to access those sites while they're at work. So that's a conversation and there's a workaround for that. But it's not wrong to say, I want you to be productive and be doing your job. And I want to take care of the security of our um, hospitals network. Right. Is It goes back to the old middle path is generally the best one. I don't want a police state. I don't want to work mm-hmm. in that hospital. You know what I mean? I don't want to feel spied on and managed. At the same time, there are downsides to uh, management or ownership who who don't look at anything, who are completely mm-hmm. hands-off, and then people take advantage of it. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we could all agree that the middle path is probably the best one is like, hey, mm-hmm. don't, you know, uh, don't spy on me when I'm not doing anything wrong and I've never given you a reason not to trust me. And at the same time, I don't expect to have a hundred percent privacy and freedom to do whatever I want in company time without the boss being like, Hey, how's it going in there? It, like that, right. you know, th- those seem seem pretty, pretty commonsensical to me. All right. So let's talk about dealing with these people, right? Okay. Um, number one, document, document, document. That's our investigation. Yeah. Like if this is a problem, if these people are spewing this negativity, just go, I'm not talking about trying to get people. I'm talking about 
They seem unhappy. This might not work out in the long term. There is a chance this behaviors could turn more disruptive or more toxic. Go ahead and document, document, document. When did this happen? What was the behavior? What's going on? And just start building up your rationale in case we do come to termination. And maybe we won't, but go ahead and just get your ducks in a row. And look, I think that this is an area where a lot of people are afraid to make a move. And commonly, I see in manager groups this similar scenario to to ours here, which is that um, a frustrated member of the team shared with this manager and said, hey, I saw these people doing this. And most commonly then what I hear is, well, the person who told me that doesn't want anybody to know that they were the one who told, but this is what they saw happen. And so you have a manager who feels like, okay, well, I trust this person who gave me the information. I I don't have a reason to doubt that this is not happening because of behaviors that I have observed. But so now how do I document and discipline um, based off of off of this? And that for me is, where you as a manager have to separate documentation and disciplinary action. It is 100% acceptable for you to document what is being shared with you and what is being observed by other people. I wouldn't actionably fire someone based on hearsay unless I had directly observed that behavior or unless that person came to me and said, I saw this happen I need, you know, I want to file a complaint about it. And they were, they were willing to be out in, in the open and be a part of the conversation. But if someone is, is sharing that information with you, it is not wrong in any way to make that a documentation, a part of your detective. As you said, it's time to play detective that goes for documenting and, um, formulating a plan for how you're going to move forward on that. And I think that's a stumbling block for a lot of managers because they get hung up on, well, I know that this thing is happening, but I can't fire them because I didn't see it happen with my own eyes. Yeah, I, I, compl- I completely agree. So document, document, document for, uh, for sure. Start the feedback model, you know, for these behaviors. And it's, we've talked about um, how to give feedback and we, this comes up a lot in, in our episodes just again and again and again. The big thing is speak in specifics. Hey, I saw this thing happened yesterday. I saw it on the camera in the treatment room. Or, hey, I was in the room and I saw this. Or I walked into this. Or I found this. Or the IT guy pulled up this document for me. Um, what happened? Yeah. What's going on? And then I'm trying to get their sort of their side of the story. Ultimately, I'm going to come around to, look, when you do blank, blank is the impact. Can you do that differently next time? And that's just me giving giving feedback to this person. Right. You've done this thing. These are the negative implications that come from that behavior. Can you do that differently? And that's just that's just low level feedback. And essentially, it um, it gives them the feedback of this is not acceptable. It makes them aware that I'm aware of what's going on, and it's asking them to change their behavior. And if they're unwilling to change their behavior, this is an important point. If I have this conversation with you a couple of times, it stops being a conversation about you job hunting. And it starts being a conversation about you telling me that you're going to change your behavior and not doing it. 
Right. And that is a question about your truthfulness, about right. your willingness to change, about mm-hmm. your desire to be part of our team going forward. And those are things that are much easier to have uh, hard conversations about mm-hmm. than, hey, you were saying that you wanted to find another job. That's, you know what I mean? It's hard to maybe, es- it maybe feels hard to escalate that. It really is the point of, we've talked about this behavior. You've told me you're going to change. and You're not going to change. And this is the fourth time we're having this conversation in a month. And I'm not playing with you anymore. <laughs> you know? And all yeah. of this is documented. Well, and I think I think in this example, that is, that is 100% how you have to look at it. Because um, what this manager said was, look, these, these people are openly talking amongst their group that they are looking for other jobs, but they, um, they have terrible attitudes and they have a complete lack of respect for anyone else on the team. Those two things are, are very easy to document and to, um, have feedback conversations and move someone through a progressive disciplinary action model on it is a lot harder to document and discipline the um the indirect behaviors of everybody talking about the fact that they're looking for another job um i mean you certainly if you can observe the behaviors yourself as a manager and you can see the browser history or you can catch somebody in action doing that that that's that's something that you can be actionable about but for the most part the conversation probably for the majority of the managers out there needs to be about their bad attitudes and the lack of respect and being able to give concrete examples, because I guarantee if that's actually who they are as people and that's the behaviors that they're exhibiting, they're going to continue to exhibit it again and again. And you're going to be able to have the, (laughs) the documentation and the ability to have those feedback conversations with them and say, Hey, I need to, I need you to change this behavior. And then it's very easy to say, this is the fourth time we've had this conversation. You have been given a written warning. We've had a verbal warning. Like now we're at an actionable step. Yeah. Specific examples are vital. And that's why the detective work is so important. That's why documentation is so important. Mm -hmm. Get the specifics, write down what happened, be able to say on this date, this is what happened. And the other thing is now that we're doing this research, now we can circle back around to step one, which was getting the practice owner on board and sometimes presenting the data and saying, this is what's happening. This is right. this is exactly what happened. Here it is in black and white laid out. It's not going away. Can I deal with this problem? Mm-hmm. And so, again, if we've already started that conversation, maybe we had some time to process it, think about it. And now I'm coming back around and saying, here's what's happened since our last conversation. Yeah. Can I do this? And And having already started that conversation, now lets me come back and sort of bring it back to the top and and keep that conversation going to get where I want to go. Pick your poison ultimately, right? Do you, uh, would you rather be shorthanded or would you rather have these people in there talking about how they want to find other jobs and how unhappy they are? What do, what do you want? I know which one I'm choosing. Give, give me shorthanded. Well, you know? and, and from, so this is where I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of um, pushing the right, the right buttons with your practice owner. If you have a practice owner who is at all concerned about finances, if the, if the success of the business and the money piece of it is something that is a concern or a worry for them in any way, 
this is where it is very easy to tie it to the money because, um, but it, but it's also the hardest one for managers, I think, to bring up and execute on. And here's why they're like, well, if we work shorthanded, we're going to be able to bring in less money. And so it's better to keep working and be able to make the money and deal with the problem that we have. Or you could say that in the short term, you are going to lose some money. If you have three less staff members, all of a sudden, that is going to have a financial burden on your team. But I promise you that the short-term financial loss is going to significant, be significantly less than the long-term financial cause of losing good employees because of toxic ones, um, continuing to be unproductive even though you're employing those three people because everybody is dealing with the gossip and the toxicity in, in the practice. You're going to get a whole lot done on a much longer-term basis than working temporarily shorthanded. And so this is a very easy place where you as the manager can come in and give your boss some specific concrete numbers. There's lots of documentation out there about the cost of not only um, continuing to employ toxic people, but the cost of turnover. And so the biggest worry for a lot of bosses is you don't want to lose good people because of the bad apples. But when they're afraid to make that, that um, decision and make the hard call, this is a very easy place for you to bring it back to the numbers for them. Yeah. Let me, let me walk back what I said just a little bit. When I said, uh, pick your poison, I'll take shorthanded. Um, generally that's true. This is, there is a question of degrees when I say, you know, um, if, if this person is mumbling and grumbling, um, that's different from this person being out and out negative. You know what I mean? Like it, right. there, there is some level to the behavior where I go, okay, I, my, I will pick my poison differently if this person is just, you know, they're a complainer <laughs> versus they're, they're, they're something toxic. So, so I don't, I spoke very much in absolutes and I told you guys at the beginning of the podcast. I have my hand on the hilt of the flaming, raging sword of justice this morning. <laughs> that's why I was like, fire them. Fire them, fire them all. That was, yeah, that was, that was that, that was that pointing, uh, pointing out. So I'm taking my hand off the flaming, raging sword of justice and saying, <laughs> it is a question of degrees. I think oftentimes when we're worried about being shorthanded versus keeping a toxic personality, being shorthanded is, um, it is, it is much better. The other thing I want to say here also is, especially if you have a group of people, generally it's not three toxic people. It's right. one toxic person and two toadies. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And oftentimes yeah. if we walk through this exercise and we jettison the worst offender, other people will get back on board. You know what I mean? And so sometimes we look and we go, I can't lose three people. I'm not telling you to, to lose three people. I'm telling you to walk through the process and quite possibly lose one person and then see where we are. And so, so I do just want to break that up. The last thing I'll say, we got to wrap this up here. My big thing at the end always is what is kind? What is kind? What is kind to the people who are unhappy, who are looking for other jobs because they're unhappy? Is it kind to keep them here? Or is it kind to help them on their journey? What is kind to the rest of your team? And that is important. Is it kind to your team to keep these people here? Right. Or is it kind to your team to let them go? That's all I've got. Yep. I, I, 
I love it. I agree 100%. And sometimes that's, that's the best place to start, especially if you're dealing with a, a practice owner who is struggling with having the hard conversations. Sometimes just having, asking that question out loud and thinking through it out loud as a, as a leadership team, as a management team, is a good place to start. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. So that's our advice. Walk through everything. And if all else fails, fire them all. <laughs> Everybody's fired. Everyone is fired. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you. We'll see you next week. Beware. I'll take care. Bye-bye, everybody. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you loved it. I hope you had a great time. I hope to see you in the Uncharted community real soon. If you're not already there, take care. Be well. Bye-bye.